What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, we have another Q&A with Coach Andrea. Um, Andrea, as always, thank you for being here. Fill us in. How has the week gone? Anything new going on? It's been a really good week. There's not really a ton new. Um, we've got a couple of new clients on my roster, which is always awesome to bring new people on board. Um, everything is just going really smooth. There's not like ton to report, which is usually good news. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a bad thing. Um, I know I've been so, I know we talked about this a lot on our team calls as well, but I've been so stoked about all the new clients we've added as of late. Really, it's so cool when we bring clients on that are listeners to the podcast, that read our blogs, and are really just so in alignment already with like what we value as a team. They know what we're about, like what we expect going into the relationship, because I really feel like it just allows such smoother transition to kind of just hit the ground running. So that has been really cool to see like so many clients come on as of late that are just like so in alignment with everything that we talk about on this show. So I've, I've really, really enjoyed that also. Um, cool. So it sounds like not a lot going on as far as your week goes. Sounds like you've more or less been doing the same thing with training and nutrition. Is that pretty accurate? Yep, that's accurate. There's um, Training has been the same. I've still been able to add a little bit of weight on some things. Um, I pulled back a couple of things this week just because of uh, missing out on some sleep. <laughs> uh Tate, our five-year-old has had a, an earache, so that gets him up overnight. And so I didn't want to like go push it very hard in the gym the day after missing out on sleep. But other than that, I've still been able to add a little bit here and there, which is really nice. So, okay. Okay, cool. I'm glad to hear. It. I know you've been kind of in a phase where you're focusing on fixing some health issues and things of that nature. So not expecting to like build a ton of tissue during this time, but as we were discussing off air, really excited to hopefully have you wrapping that up sooner rather than later so you can get back to training hard and really focusing on like, I would ask like, once you get this resolved, what do you want to accomplish next with your physique? Like, what are you pushing for? That is a good question. I really want to just focus on like a very slow build. Like I'm not in a rush to, I, I think I'm beyond the point where I really want to go through like a more aggressive build and then more aggressive. But I just kind of want to um, very slowly build the recall over time. And then every once in a while, <laughs> maybe like before summer or something, um, get a little bit leaner just for the sake of doing it and kind of repeat. And I really mostly just want to train hard and have fun with that. Cause I love training and I really hate keeping four or five in the tank. <laughs> and you've been doing that for a very long period of time. So I don't blame you there at all. It's cool how much your perspective on all this has shifted over the last couple of years. Like I know when we started working together, like when you joined the team in 2020, which what we're like right at two years now, actually, um, yeah. when you joined the team in 2020 you were like i don't really want to build more muscle i don't like i'm like good where i'm at and it's i feel like that's changed quite a bit over the last few years yeah i also just like i think a lot of people i go back and forth on stuff <laughs> like every once in a while it's like 
Uh, I'm okay with not building more muscle. I'd rather just like look cute in these jeans and go <laughs> the way regular stuff. Um, but then like 90% of the time, less I, I just really love training and I'd be good with building some more muscle. And every time I see someone with like a good amount of muscle, I'm like, yeah, that looks really good. <laughs> so I want to do that. Okay. I love it. Um, man, as far as my week goes, I feel like it has been a pretty, pretty similar week to the last few we've been continuing to push along the diet. I am like 184 to 185 consistently now. So definitely feeling like a tiny person. Um, when I first started fat loss, so basically how my fat loss phase across this year has gone is I started in February. I took like a two month diet break and then I've been back in fat loss. So I started at 212. So man, I'm down actually quite a bit from the start there. What is that? 28 pounds? Yeah, 28 pounds. Don't ask um, me to do math. <laughs> <laughs> do math live. Um, 28 pounds, definitely feeling lean. Also definitely feeling pretty small at this point as seems to be the case but um yeah we're just getting ready for a photo shoot i'm like five weeks out now so i'm i'm happy with how that's gone i think the plan is for us to kind of reverse into that where we probably will and i'm not sure if this is exactly i don't want to like put words in brandon's mouth but i think our plan is probably push hard for another two to three weeks and then like start feeding me up a bit albeit still in a deficit the last few weeks before the shoot so um I am happy with, I'm super happy with where we're at, like definitely feeling very lean, but as a whole, also excited to be done with fat loss and just spend a long period of time eating more food. I think I talk about those with clients like that quite a bit. I think like getting extremely lean to the point where you're shredded is something that's fun to do like every three years, but it's definitely not. I mean, like, even if you listen to that timeline, I've spent so much of this year just focusing on fat loss. And I think like long-term, if you, this is something you do like every year, you're probably not going to be able to change your physique very much year to year. So it's definitely something that we want to relegate to like every few years. And I've talked with Natalie about this a lot because we're in a similar boat where she has been cutting for a long time. We're getting her ready for a photo shoot. What November 11th, I think is her shoot date. Um, and similarly, like she's been in fat loss for a long time and she's going to like, we've gotten her leaner than she's ever been already. So with another seven and a half weeks, she's going to get a great, she's going to have an incredible result for that shoe. She has a ton of muscle tissue and she's going to be very lean, but it's again, like, Hey, after this, we want to spend a very long period of time just focusing on eating more building. But yeah, for my week, then, um, we've been pushing hard for what nine weeks, um, within training, we haven't taken any type of deload, but I just, this last week, I just hit a wall where it was the first time where like strength started to fall off. I feel like I lost a couple reps on most of my movement. And even mentally, it was just like my head just, I felt like more down. My motivation just wasn't what it normally was. And that's, I feel like for me, as much as anything else with clients that just not a, like the, the rep drop off is definitely a big piece of it, but also just like people that are normally motivated and excited to train. Um, when that's when like suddenly you see a big fall off in that, that to me is typically one of the biggest indicators that it's probably time that we need to take a deload. We need to focus on rest and recovery and just like pulling things back for a short period of time. Um, so we are taking a deload this week that actually just started today. Um, but honestly, I'm already feeling a little bit better because of that. So I'm excited to see. And we're also keeping food just a bit higher where I have training day and rest day macros, but I'm just eating my training day macros across the course of the week to kind of just expedite the recovery process a little bit quicker. But yeah, that is kind of where we're at. Um, you ready to dig into questions? 
Yeah, let's do it. Perfect. All right. I am going to toss the first one I have over to you, which is, does dairy slow down the breakdown of protein, e.g. Greek yogurt slash protein powder? Does dairy slow down the, say that again? So basically she's asking if dairy slows down the digestion of protein. So for example, she said Greek yogurt slash protein powder. So uh, dairy is made up of a mixture of whey and casein protein. So that's how you get the like whey powder or casein powder is they'll isolate each type of protein and turn that into powder. Um, Whey protein digests very quickly. And that's how you'll hear most people recommend that for a post-workout meal because it's um, spikes the amino acid content in your blood very quickly. Whereas casein is more slow, which is why you'll hear people say, uh, have that before you go to bed at night. So it's more of like a slow drip while you sleep. Uh, With, I'm trying to remember the ratios um, of milk. I think it's like 20, 80, um, but that could be wrong. I haven't, I haven't had any reason to look into that in a while, but for a slower digesting protein, something like cottage cheese or yogurt is going to be higher in casein. And so that will slow the digestion of that protein a bit. Yeah. I think the important distinction there is again, understanding when we're looking at protein powder is typically going to be like a whey protein or a whey protein isolate or a casein protein. So like, yes, whey is technically dairy, but the speed at which that digests at is going to be very much different than like a Greek yogurt or a cottage cheese or something of that nature. Right. So like a whey protein isolate is going to be one of the fastest digesting protein sources that we can consume. Whereas again, on the flip side, like Greek yogurt, yogurt, something of that nature is going to digest pretty slowly. So it's very largely, I would say like your solid dairy and kind of its natural form is typically going to digest a bit slower. That's again, I'm trying to remember where I feel like milk is kind of in the middle of the spectrum. Does that sound right? I'm trying to remember where milk falls in that. Yeah, I can't remember what milk is. Okay. But I, I think it's, I'm trying to remember the ratio of casein to whey as well. But regardless, like your dairies and their natural, I guess yogurt isn't like necessarily its natural form, but like outside of our whey proteins, your dairies typically are going to digest a little bit slower, but whey protein and like a whey protein isolate is going to digest pretty quickly. Um, I think that's all I have on that. But also shout out to Lisa for always asking such good questions. All right. What do you got for me? All right. First question is refresh on what to eat around training important to eat before or after and what percent. All right. Yeah. So when it comes to like your peri-workout nutrition, so basically that's just what she's asking is like, how should we break down our peri-workout nutrition? Right. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to our peri-workout nutrition, we are going to want to stimulate muscle protein synthesis before we go into our training. And again, post-workout. So Within that, for most individuals, that's going to look something like we want to eat probably 25 to 40 grams of protein going into a training session. And the closer you are eating this meal to training, the quicker digesting source we're going to want that to be, right? We don't want your body to be necessarily still be digesting a lot of food when we're training because that's going to divert some blood flow to your stomach rather than to your muscles. And basically we're not going to be able to train quite as effectively and we'll just feel a little bit more sluggish or we're still digesting. So 
that will be um, a little bit like the speed at which the protein digests. Not necessarily something you have to overthink. Like if you're eating 90 to 120 minutes before you train, you should be perfectly fine just eating like as long as it's not an extremely fatty. Like I wouldn't like a ribeye, for example, before I train. But as long as we're having a relatively lean protein source, really depending on body size, like the larger you are, it probably are closer to 40 to maybe even 50 grams of protein. Really, really what I would look at is like, we're going to try to get one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day, approximately. Let's look at how many meals you're eating. For most people, that's going to be about four. And then just divide that relatively evenly across your meals. So, okay, at each meal, we're going to try to get about 0.25 grams of protein per pound of body weight, right? Then that's really how I would look at it for both your pre and your post-workout meal. Um, from there, then we are going to want some carbohydrates. We do have a decent amount of research that seems to show that us consuming carbohydrates before we're training, especially if you're, like, you're used to fasted training, you're consuming carbs before you train, that is going to improve your ability to train harder. That's going to help. Um, with, it, with the right dose here, that is also going to help keep blood sugar stable throughout our training. We're probably going to be able to train harder. Um, so within that, typically the rule of thumb I like to get is aim for about 50 to 70% of your daily carbs combined in your pre, intra, and post-workout, right? And typically like how we would look at that is if you're in a deficit, that number gets higher. So close to about 60 to 70% of your daily carbs are going to come in that peri-workout window. Um, whereas like in one, we're in a surplus of reading a lot of carbs specifically, it's just going to be like, if you're eating 400 grams of carbs and we're like aiming for 70% of that, which is like what close to 300 grams of carbs or like 150 grams of carbs per meal, that's going to be very hard to do. So there we can air closer to like trying to get about 50% of our daily carbs total in, um, that pre post intro workout window. So really, again, I would aim for in that case, something like about 25% of your daily carbs pre-workout. And again, about 25% of your daily carbs post-workout. There again, like the speed at which this food digests is going to be somewhat dependent on how close we are training to the time that we're eating. So if we're, you're eating within like 60 90 to 90 minutes of training, I would typically err towards uh, carb sources that are also going to be quicker digested, right? So this could be things like cream of rice, white rice. Um, most fruits that are relatively low fiber are going to be a good option here as well. Even things like fruit juices, um, Gatorade, highly brand cyclic dextrin, things of that nature can all be a good option. Whereas on the flip side, if you're eating further away from your training and you're noticing you're kind of crashing when you're training, it might actually be a good idea for us to err towards more fibrous carb sources. So think things like potato, for example, where that will slow the rate at which that's digested a little bit and actually potentially help that crash. And then from there, as far as fat goes, um, if we are again, eating like 60 to 90 minutes before we're training or less, I would probably try to keep fat between five and 10 grams. Again, fat's going to slow to your digestion a little bit and just increasing the overall calories will slow the digestion a little bit. So within that, I'd probably try to keep that relatively low again, like five to 10 grams. That said, if you're eating a little bit further away, like, like an hour and a half to two hours before you train, there, there might be some merit to airing closer to 10 to 15 grams. Because again, we don't want you in a situation where you digest all this so quickly. And then like halfway through the training session, you're extremely hungry. Or again, you kind of get that crash sensation. So that's going to be somewhat dependent on when you're eating before you're training. Now, post-workout, again, we can basically apply those same principles, right? We're going to want 
uh, similar bolus of protein, at least 25 to 40 grams, depending on your body size. And again, I would really look at it as like one gram of protein per pound of body weight split up across each meal. How much do I need it in this meal? So again, like that, like 0.25 grams of protein per pound of body weight if you're eating four meals. Um, and again, a similar bolus of carbs. Now here, so again, if we ate 25% of our daily carbs, if we're aiming for 50% pre and post-workout, then we would again do 25% of our carbohydrates in this post-workout meal. Now here, I don't think that the rate of digestion, unless you are training multiple times per day, which is so on the outside of like, if you're an athlete, if you're like, so for example, like one of my clients is a BJJ athlete and she trains, um, she does resistance training and then she has BJJ later in the day. So there, like it is a big priority for us to refill or replenish her muscle glycogen stores ASAP so that for her next training session, she's feeling good to go and fully recovered or to the best of her ability recover from her training earlier in the day. So there we do prioritize like more quick digesting carbs. Whereas for most people like here, I wouldn't necessarily overthink like, is this more fibrous or less fibrous carb source? But we do know, again, that's going to help replenish our muscle glycogen stores. Insulin sensitivity is going to be the highest during that time. So more of those carbohydrates that we take in are going to be shuttled to the muscle cells. So if we're like in a building phase, this can potentially help us make better quote unquote lean gains. Um, but I really wouldn't overthink like, is this a quick digesting or slow digesting carb source necessarily? And then with fat, pretty similarly. Um, oh, and then alongside that, carbs are going to help decrease cortisol levels. We're going to increase insulin, which is going to bring down cortisol levels, which is just going to put us in a more anabolic state to grow new muscle tissue. But then as far as fat intake goes, again, this is an area where yes, it will slow digestion a bit. So if we want to optimize like every last detail from like trying to replenish our muscle glycogen stores ASAP, we could argue maybe we'll keep this fat intake a little bit lower. But really for most people, I don't think this matters much at all. Again, unless you're like in that very fringe scenario where you're training multiple times per day and this is your meal between training sessions, I really wouldn't worry too much about the fat intake. I would just make sure you get adequate protein and carbs within that meal. Any other thoughts from you there? You really thoroughly covered that. Just so I have a little bit of something to add here. Um, if you're someone who is training super early in the morning and it's just not realistic for you to have a meal or get up early enough to eat something solid before going in, um, doing like a weight isolate shake before going in can be helpful because it's really quickly digesting and it's not going to sit heavy. Um, and I just, in that case, would not necessarily about carbohydrates. You could even just put in your uh, intro workout carbs in that situation. And then, uh, the spacing between pre and post workout protein, um, you want somewhere around four hours. Um, and, and that's just to say, like, if you have your meal a couple hours before you train, then you probably want to get in your next meal afterwards about within about two hours. Um, if you're someone who goes in fasted, then you want to have it probably right away. And in that case, you'd really be working off of the fuel that you had the evening before, like whatever carbohydrates you had at that time. Um, so I think that that is all I have to add. Yeah, it's kind of a dynamic system where like the more dialed in you are with the pre-workout meal, the less like quote unquote urgent that post-workout meal is. Whereas if you're not eating anything pre-workout, that post-workout meal suddenly becomes a lot more important. But I do like the general guideline of like, hey, we want like no more than a four to five hour window between these two meals. And yeah, as you said, like if you're training super early, um, I personally do, I do whey mixed with highly branched cyclic dextrin 
and that typically works pretty well. It'll die. I could do a whey protein isolate mixed with highly branched cyclic dextrin. Or if you really feel like even that's a little bit heavy, what I would say is again, like we will like your protein from your protein is going to be the most important factor here. So I would bias that over like carbs. If it's like, Hey, this combination, no matter what, just doesn't make me feel my best. But ideally what I would say is like, even if it's like drinking those together, just feels a little bit heavy on our stomach, then I would like try to get a whey protein shake down before you train and then like start sipping on like something like highly branched cyclic, cyclic dextrin, or you could even do like a bit of Gatorade um, and start sipping on that and your way to the gym. And like for, through the first half of your training session, you could even be sipping on that. And that in itself will still give you some performance benefits. Any other thoughts or anything else to add there? I don't think so. Cool. Um, next one I have for you. I don't know if you have experience with this as we work with mostly women, but what is your experience with males that have naturally low testosterone? or muscle building and he put naturally in parentheses so i'm i'm assuming that means he's not taking the testosterone um, it, it almost sounds like he's takes he's saying like it's not like he's seen a significant drop off in his testosterone but maybe he's naturally ah, okay. closer to like the 300 end of the scale yeah makes sense so First, what I would do there is make sure you're checking all the boxes to um, see if that's something that could be improved. So make sure that you're getting really good quality sleep. That's a huge one. Um, make sure that you are eating enough food and making sure that you're getting enough um, both fats, carbs, fats and carbs, um, obviously protein, but that's not going to do as much for your testosterone level. Um, and managing stress. So make sure first that you're taking those boxes. Outside of that, there are some like natural supplements that you could take that could improve it. Um, strength training in and of itself can improve it, but I would go mostly off of uh, symptoms. So how is your mood? How is your, um, like, what are your results with strength training? Are you seeing muscle growth? How's your energy throughout the day? How's your libido? Um, and if all of those are fine, I honestly wouldn't worry about it. It's still within the normal range, even though it is low. Um, you can also have fairly low free testosterone um, and then, or a fairly low total testosterone within normal free testosterone, which means that you're just using the testosterone that you have pretty efficiently. And you're probably fine in that case. Uh, you can also have regular, like a, a normal amount of total testosterone, but then have low free testosterone and maybe run into some issues there. So the, that total amount is not necessarily the full picture. So you might want to check into that as well. If, if you're having symptoms and both of those are low and you're checking all the boxes and you've exhausted the other options, then you might. Um, consider supplemental testosterone, but in that case, it's probably something that you have to do long-term because once you start, their body is kind of getting the signal that it doesn't need to produce its own anymore. So that's like a long-term thing. So because of that, I wouldn't rush to that right away. Yeah, absolutely. I think with that, I think you did a great job of explaining like, Hey, we do want to look at your symptoms. Are you currently having a hard time building muscle. Like what's your libido? Like what's your energy? Like what's your motivation typically? Like, um, 
And again, are you checking all those boxes? Stress is going to play a huge role here. Are you overtraining? Are you training at an appropriate amount? Are you consistently under eating? Right? Are we always trying to like recomp where we're in a large deficit and then we're also like expecting ourselves to build a lot of muscle? Or are we consistently spending a lot of time eating not just plenty of protein, but also plenty of carbohydrates and fat as well? But again, like the normal range for testosterone is very large. I believe if I'm correct, it's like 300 to 970. Is that mm -hmm. something very close to that range? Yeah, that's a big range. Now, the general consensus as far as testosterone goes is Again, if you are like where everyone naturally sits and feels best can vary a lot from person to person, right? Some people are going to, and like, as you said, this is going to largely be dictated, not just by your total testosterone, but also by your free testosterone. So that's a, that's something that's important to look into as well. But within that, like some individuals might feel great around 400 to 500, um, where at and like not have any symptoms, not have any trouble building muscle. Whereas some people might feel terrible if they dip below 700 to 800, right? So it's much more about like what your natural set point is than I think like hitting any arbitrary number per se. Uh, also, the general consensus seems to be that like if you do just naturally sit, let's say you naturally sit at like 450 and you have you don't have any symptoms of, again, like low libido, low energy. You seem to be able to build muscle fine. Us increasing that within the natural ranges doesn't necessarily seem to allow us to build considerably more muscle tissue. Now, I still think like this is something that's somewhat debated because also we know like testosterone is tied to motivation. So yes, maybe we would see like more motivation. We'd be able to train harder. We'd be more on point with all our routines. But again, there's not like a within the natural ranges, even then, like if we naturally just sit around 450, um, again, our free testosterone levels are in a good place and we are, they don't have any of these negative symptoms. You're not going to pack on a huge amount of muscle likely by us bumping your testosterone up to like 700, for example, any other thoughts on that? I, yeah, I don't think so. I, I think the most important thing is just like, don't get too in your head about it. It, you can almost like start to uh, placebo yourself into not feeling it if you see that number and it's not where you expected it to be. Um, just control the variables that you can control and you can likely make a ton of progress there without it being like on the higher end of normal. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, what do you got for me next? Next question. Can we talk maintenance as a range? How much of how much of a range and how do you know? What a question. Um, that is going to vary depending on a lot of factors. So that's the thing to understand is your metabolism is something that is very dynamic, right? So we even talk about like this idea that some individuals have adaptive metabolisms and some people have more rigid metabolisms. So basically what we see very consistently is some people as a response to um, eating more food are going to do more pacing, fidgeting, blinking, and in turn, and this is something that's subconscious is not necessarily intentional and even make decisions like, Hey, I'm going to walk out to get, check the mail every day instead of like walking out to do it like three times a week, for example, little decisions like that, that add up to them burning a lot more calories in response to eating more food. So thus like we can ramp their maintenance calorie intake up very, very high on the flip side. Um, Typically, those people will see a large down regulation in that when they diet. So thus, for us to see that person 
so basically they do a lot less pacing, pitching, and blinking as a response to, and things of that nature as a response to eating less. So thus, like if we look at that person, their maintenance is going to be a massive range, right? Like when we feed them more, they ramp up movement quite a bit. And maybe let's say that like we can ramp their maintenance intake up all the way up to like 2,700 on the flip side. So typically we'd expect like, okay, maintaining that or people can easily fall into the thought process of, okay, maintaining at 2,700. If I drop like 500, 600 calories, I should be able to lose body fat. Whereas a lot of times for individuals like that, it's actually no, like we have to drop you to like 1500 to 1600 before you actually start to lose body fat. Because again, you see this downregulation and in neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis on the other end of the spectrum so there like even in that situation which that's not uncommon that's easily like a 900 to a thousand calorie range that we have for maintenance and from my perspective like that's where the biggest difference in like how much of a range maintenance is going to be comes in um i mean really when we look at your metabolism and what makes it what it's composed of we have your basal metabolic rate which is just going to be calories that you burn at rest so even if we weren't moving throughout the day this would we basically think like your heart pumping, breathing, things of that nature, calories we burn through that. Um, this is also going to be tied to the amount of muscle tissue you have, right? And the thing to understand there is muscle is metabolically active. We don't burn a ton of calories from muscle, but I think it's like six calories per day at rest. But I mean, also it's more the fact of like moving this dense body through space, contracting these larger muscles, things of that nature, where that does contribute a decent amount to our calories burned. Um, we have non-exercise activity, which we already discussed. We have the thermic effect of food, which is calories you burn digesting food. So also like the foods that you're taking in will play a big role here. So for example, like if you're eating more protein, we know protein has a much higher thermic effect. So for example, like we know fats about zero to 5% of the calories we consume from fats are burned during digestion. We know with carbohydrates, that number is about five to 15%. And with protein, that number can get closer to about 20 to 25%, right? So the, like the, the macronutrient ratios of the food that you're taking in can also have a large impact on how many calories we're burning and thus how many calories we can maintain on. Um, and then we have exercise activity thermogenesis. So basically how many calories you burn when we're training and we have non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which we are kind of already discussed. So, I mean, within that, the thing to understand there as well is like, depending on where your, like where your calorie intake is at, like your food selection. And also we know just like eating more whole foods will cause us to burn more calories, like less processed foods. Our body has to do more of the work to process them through the process of digestion. And that in itself burns more calories, right? So your food selection, how your need is impacted is going to have a big impact on our metabolism, which in turn is going to basically dictate how many calories we burn across the course of a day, which is going, going to in turn determine like how many calories we need to eat to maintain, lose, or gain weight. But I really think like more than anything, when we're talking about people having like these large ranges in metabolism and like, or these large ranges they can maintain at versus like these much smaller ranges, I think primarily it comes down to like the individual's need levels and how they respond to eating more or less food, right? Again, are you doing more pacing, fidgeting, blinking? Are you intentional about hitting a step goal? Are you intentional about things of that nature? Or again, is this, do you have a more rigid metabolism where we don't see this large upregulation or downregulation in these things? 
when we eat more or eat less, right? Which is that person on the other end of the spectrum where again, like when we eat more, we don't really see like an increase in pacing, fidgeting, and blinking. So that's easier for us to gain fat. But also on the flip side, when we eat less, we typically don't see as large a down regulation as a person with a more adaptive metabolism. So thus we can typically lose on higher calories as well. But for that person, like maintenance would be a much smaller range than that for that person with an adaptive metabolism. Um, what thoughts do you have there? Uh, the part of her question was, how do you know? So with that, if you've gone through a fat loss phase, you can kind of see if you have a more rigid or more adaptive metabolism because of how many times you had to drop calories throughout the process. Um, this was my client, Caroline, who asked this question and she just kind of cruised along and continued to make great progress through the whole fat loss phase on one number. So her metabolism is probably on the more rigid side and um, her range is not going to be probably as large. Um, so if you're someone on the flip side who continued to make drops in calories to keep things moving, then you're probably someone who can get your calories up quite a bit higher. So how you would know is previous experience within a fat loss phase and really just getting into the reverse diet process and start working your calories up and see uh, how your body responds and how many increases you're making before things finally level off. Yeah, absolutely. And a conversation I like to have with clients is just like, Hey, in the past, typically how easy has it been for you to gain weight and how easy has it been for you to lose weight? Right. This person with the adaptive metabolism is typically going to be in a place where like, man, my body really just does a good job saying where it's at. It's kind of hard for me to lose weight, but it's also pretty hard for me to gain body weight. Right. So where, and that's typically like more characteristic of someone with a more adaptive metabolism, whereas someone with a more rigid metabolism, yeah, they'll probably have, they're probably more likely this. I don't want to like broad base characterize this, but they typically will be prone to larger fluctuations or they'll be capable of large, easily more easily capable of larger fluctuations in fat loss and fat gain. Because again, there's like almost less margin for error. Metabolism just isn't as much of a broad range. Does that, does that all make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I was thinking the exact same thing, but I wasn't sure <laughs> if that was uh, like a wide enough net of people for that to make sense. But if we're both thinking it, I'd say that that's probably spot on. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. It's not to say like if you've yo-yo dieted, you for sure have a rigid metabolism or vice versa. Like I've definitely seen people in both camps, but it's just it may, like if you have a more adaptive metabolism, both weight gain and weight loss will typically be a little bit harder. But again, the thing to understand is like both camps are kind of plus. Like, so don't, again, if you're like, I'm in this, I'm more adaptive or I'm more fixed or rigid, like neither of those are necessarily a bad thing. Typically, people that are less adaptive, fat loss is going to be easier, but you also don't have the benefit of getting to eat. Typically, you don't get the benefit of being able to eat quite as much when we're not in a fat loss phase. Whereas on the flip side, again, people with more adaptive fat loss may be a little bit harder, but also we typically can take maintenance quite a bit higher. You get to eat more food. So I think there's pros and cons either way. Yeah. Cool. All right. Last question I have for you. Why won't the scale move when in a deficit? Mm. So first question that I ask this person, how long they've been at it? So if you've been doing this for less than a couple of weeks, you probably just need to be more patient. Um, if it has in a couple of weeks and you're still not seeing any movement in the scale, 
you may just not be in a deficit yet. This would be like, this ties in really well to that last question. You might be someone that is just kind of needing to make a bigger jump down because you are a little bit more adaptive and uh, you need to make a more aggressive cut to start to see the scale move. Um, if you're naturally someone who's gonna cut food down a little bit and then start just sitting more and um, moving around a little bit less, then you may just, uh, like I said, need to make a more aggressive cut to see the sales start to move. Another thing that I would dig into here is how accurately are you tracking things? So do you know for sure that the the calories that you've been tracking on a consistent basis are actually what's going in or are there little bites and tastes coming in here and there? Are you eating out semi-frequently? Those are always that some uh, inaccuracies in tracking can sneak in and make a like honestly disappointing amount of difference <laughs> in the amount of weight loss that you'll see. Um, it, this is a conversation that I've had a ton with clients is that you have to get to a level of strict with your tracking that feels like it's too much. Like it feels unfair, um, to, to see things move consistently. So that could be the issue as well. Um, how much are you moving? So are you training on a consistent basis? Are you walking a certain amount of steps, um, in order to, to see the calorie expenditure, uh, somewhat consistent. So those are all things that I would check. And if you truly have checked all those boxes and you made a couple more cuts in your calories and are still not seeing the scale move down, I would look at what's your diet history. Have you spent um, a significant time of dieting already? Have you spent any time at maintenance? Um, and then from there, like maybe we just need to see what's going on under the hood and to get some blood work done and make sure that there's nothing serious going on. Absolutely. Yeah. I think where you're starting to point out is that is very important. Like similar to what we said, if you are that person with a more adaptive metabolism, you could go from 2,500 calories to 2000, think that should be a deficit and it's not right. So the reality is like, if that's where like, Hey, right from the gate, we haven't seen any type of move from my perspective. Typically, if we're truly in a deficit, the first now, the exclusion to this is like if someone's starting a new training program, right? Where if you're starting a different style of training, typically the first week of that, you're going to experience some inflammation. So if we're starting like a new training program the same week that we are also starting a deficit, typically there will be some inflammation that will kind of mask from like increased muscle soreness that will mask the weight loss progress. But if that's not, that's not the case, um, we should at least see the scale move a bit, typically if nothing else from the like our body losing muscle collection and the associated water within that now from there then typically my order of operations is first going to be hey are you tracking all the right things right this is why with our clients we don't just look at body weight we're also looking at body measurements and progress pictures now progress pictures are much harder to be objective with and like have tangible measurements which is why i like body measurements. So I'll look at not just as a scale weight decreasing, but also are your body measurements decreasing, right? We work with a lot of women who achieve recomp, especially at the start of their fat loss phase. So it's important to look at multiple metrics, not just your scale weight. From there though, like if measurements are de aren't decreasing, hey, is the scale weight decreasing? Because on the flip side, like a lot of times we'll see one of those areas, like the first couple of weeks make a lot of progress. And then the other one kind of catches up a few weeks later and vice versa. It's pretty rare that we just see those th 
those two measurements and body weight both just move together synergistically with clients that we're working with. It'll typically be like, hey, we saw a lot more progress in this area. We saw a bit of progress in this other area or maybe none. But again, we're looking at both of these as metrics of progress rather than just one. Then from there, I would ask like, if you were seeing progress on these macros consistently for the last few weeks, did things just kind of suddenly stall, right? And also... um. Alongside that, did you suddenly see like a decrease in hunger or has hunger stayed about the same, right? The thing to understand is when it comes to metabolic adaptation, it's a process that does happen pretty slowly. Um, It'll happen a little bit more quickly for that more adaptive individual, but still typically if it's like, hey, two weeks ago and last week I saw great progress on these macros and all of a sudden I like hit this abrupt stall, I will typically look to, okay, how does this client's hunger change? Because more than often it's like, hey, we don't, metabolic adaptation doesn't usually just hit us like, boom, I lost two pounds last week and none this week. Rather, it's typically, okay, we know like we saw hunger decrease, which tells us there's probably more food coming in than maybe is being tracked. So within that, let's dig into food logs and dig deeper into that aspect. From there, are you just consistently hitting your macros, right? Where I think people underestimate, as you said, just how consistently we have to be to see progress. If it's like, hey, I'm nailing my macros five days a week and then I take two days a week untracked, that in itself is probably why we're not making progress. Where the reality is, again, like to get great results, most of us have to, at least 90% of the time, be 80 to 90% of the time, we have to be pretty damn dialed in with our adherence to the protocols. And then that other like 10 to 20%, that still has to be pretty good. It can be like 90 to 80, 90% of the time was spot on. And then the other 10 to 20% is like way, way off, right? Where it still has to be like, we're keeping this pretty reasonable. So I would ask again, just how consistently are you truly hitting your macros? I think that's the value of having, part of the value of having something like the progress tracker we use with our clients. We are actually reviewing every week. Okay. Because a lot of times it can seem like, man, I had a great week. And then if we go back and look at my macros, it's like, wow, I actually wasn't nearly as dialed in as I thought I was when I look at the numbers. So just arbitrary data like that, not arbitrary, objective data like that, I think is very helpful. From there, if we're consistently hitting our macros, then I would dig into, are you measuring your food accurately? Which we already kind of dug into. Are there any bites, nibbles, licks, tastes that are sneaking in? From there, are we hitting a daily movement goal? Um which is going to be another important part of this, very similar to that adaptive versus rigid metabolism discussion. If you aren't like tracking a step goal, I would establish a step goal and make sure you're hitting that on a consistent basis. Because if you're dieting and you weren't, now we can't necessarily control like the fidgeting and blinking that you do, but we can control your step goal. But if you were just like looking at your steps on the daily and not hitting a specific target across the course of a diet, we would see that number of steps daily decrease more and more and more. You'll notice you're more lethargic, you're more fatigued. Um, it's a very normal part of a diet, but we need to do our best to try to offset that by keeping movement like at a consistent baseline. Because otherwise our body's going to adapt and we're going to burn a lot less calories through movement. Um, and then from there, finally I would ask, has it been at least a week and a half to two weeks since you made your most recent macro adjustment and you've been very consistent throughout that time, right? Within that, because also just understand like it does take time or changes in macros to compound to quicker fat loss. But if you can look at it and it's been a matter of, hey, it's been two weeks. I've nailed all those factors of tracking extremely consistently. I've hit my macros on the daily. I haven't been having like untracked meals or untracked days, which I will say is honestly pretty rare. Like when it comes to a fat loss stall, if you can say no to all those things or yes, whatever the correct answer is, depending on the question, um, then it might be time to adjust things further. Or again, if we're in a place where like we're making 
more and more adjustments than, as you said, digging into diet history and potentially blood work. Do you have anything else to add to that? No, I would just, um, well, I guess, yes, since I am going to talk more, um, I would say it's important to uh, realize that the the order that we set those things is important and not to go kind of like the testosterone talk, like not to go to the like most severe conclusion right off the bat and think, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. I need to get blood work done. I probably have a thyroid issue. Like, uh, you know, my body doesn't respond to deficits. So first of all, those uh, like 99 point something percent of people are going to uh, find their answer within the first few check boxes there and not need to go down the route of looking into um, like what's going on with their body. Absolutely. And that's like, I think, especially before you're digging into like, am I broken? Is there something wrong with me? Just ask yourself, have I strung together two weeks and what I expect to be a deficit where every day I've tracked everything that I've eaten and I've hit my targets every single day and not with like a lot of room for error. We're like, I was at Chipotle. So I like estimated this, but like, I truly know I hit my targets every day for just two weeks. Right. Even that, like most people it'll be, no, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. Right. Which is fine but it's like before we dig to like the most complex like i think the most complex or like i'm broken for example just like those simple things are most of the time where the solution to a foul stall lies cool but um unless you have anything else to add nope okay perfect in that case that is all we have for you team and we will catch you guys next time